Hello everyone and welcome to Celtic Preacher Podcast 94. And today we're going to be looking at one of Jesus' teachings that he often gave. And that's all about motivation. Jesus spoke about what motivates us, a fair peace. He spoke about what he called the heart, the condition of the heart. And of course, we're not talking about the physical heart here. We're talking about the inner life. So when Jesus speaks about the, the heart of a person, he's speaking about what's really, truly going on in the inside. So we're going to be looking at motivation this morning because as far as Jesus is concerned, what motivates us is the most important thing in our lives, why we do what we do. But first, I have to tell you about what happened as I was walking our new puppy this morning. I was out in the open space here in Northern California. And I was with this little pup. She's about 30 pounds. And I was reminded of the importance of obedience. <laughs> yeah, in fact, it struck me that actually it's even not just about the importance of obedience. It's really a matter of life and death. And I know this sounds really dramatic, but... The puppy's 30 pounds, and every morning a coyote, a large one, follows us. And the coyote is larger and faster. And if this pup fails to listen and wanders off, I mean, she's going to be in a lot of danger, right? Now, obviously, I've got a lead on her at, uh, at this point, but it just, you know, struck me that, you know, I'm, I'm really intentional about training her. Because, of course, I want her to be off-leash. I want her to be free, eventually. I don't want her tethered to me an entire life. So, as you can imagine, I'm putting, putting a lot of time into obedience training because I want her to be safe and alive, and I want her to have a good life, and I really want her to have a lot of freedom. So, that reminded me, believe it or not, that reminded me of the way God works with us, and why God gives us laws or commandments. And I was reminded that God gave the ancient people thousands and thousands and thousands of years ago, ancient Israel were given laws and rules, commandments. And do you know that the primary reason that God gave the ancient ones commandment commandments was to keep them free yeah it was nothing to do with restricting it was to keep them free it was to give them a good life because what had happened was the ancient ones had been enslaved for hundreds and hundreds of years to the ancient Egyptians and eventually Moses comes along and he leads them out of Egypt and they go on this long, long, long journey to the promised land. Now, when they get to the promised land, Moses gives the people these commandments or laws given by God so that the people will have a good life. And not only, interestingly enough, Deuteronomy tells us, not only will the people have a good life, not only will, will the people thrive, but the land will also benefit. And so in the Old Testament, there's quite a, quite a detailed account of various laws 
how to treat one another, um, how to even actually even how to look after the land. And this is long, long before organic gardening, long, long before sustainable agriculture. This was all set in place. Thousands and thousands of years ago, God says, you follow these, these laws and all will go well with the land, the animals, the people, and you will you'll keep your freedom. You'll keep your freedom. You'll, you'll have a good life, basically. Now, this is the odd thing. What happened is, over the centuries, right up to the present day, it seems to be that people forget that God gives instruction in order to set us free or keep us free. And any kind of instruction or law is for our benefit, it's for our good, in other words. In fact, the ancient people said that the law of God, the commandments of God, they were as sweet as honey. In other words, it was a beautiful thing. They were sweet like honey. Now, but what happens is, over years, is that generations misunderstand law. They misunderstand instruction. And they start to think that it's something that hinders fun and freedom. It's a very, very strange thing. Because if you were to ask someone today, you know, what do you think about God's laws? Or if God had any laws, you know, what do you think they would be? Chances are it's going to always, the answer, if, if you can get someone to answer you, it would be in the negative. It would be, well, yeah, God doesn't want us to do ABC. God doesn't want us to do certain things, uh, particularly certain things that we might want to do. Why? Because that's the way it is. In other words, what happens is over the centuries is, is that people tend to put the worst possible construction on God and on God's laws or on God's commandments. In other words, it's always a bad thing to not be allowed to do something. So Jesus, when he came along a couple thousand years, well, more than thousands of years later after the commandments, he spent a lot of time teaching people, getting people to get back to the heart of the real reason for the law and the commandments, that it was supposed to be for our benefit and for our good. Now, do people mess up and do people put burdens on other people? And yeah, of course they do. Even to this day, have people been raised in churches and then they get to be older and they think, boy, that was a horrible experience, you know, I'll never recover from that. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it happens. Because people continually misunderstand God, they misunderstand themselves, and they certainly misunderstand God's law. So big part of Jesus teaching us, and you'll notice this, once you notice the pattern once, you'll see it time and time and time again. He corrects particularly religious leaders' understanding of God and God's ways and God's law. And that is what is happening in our passage this morning. And it's, it's a passage from Mark 7. And he's in conversation with some religious leaders, Pharisees and scribes. Most of the time that Jesus is in conversation with religious people, 
it is hostile. And the reason it's hostile is, is because the religious leaders of Jesus' day don't approve of him. Yeah, they don't approve of him. They don't like what he's doing. His teaching is new, it's different, and it's threatening. As is the case, right? When, we, when people hear something new, they tend to be threatened by it. It was the same in Jesus' day. So that's an interesting pattern. It's always good to pay attention to patterns in the scripture because once you see it, once you see the pattern once, Jesus correcting religious people's views, you will see it pop up all the time throughout his teaching. Overall, people don't understand God. Overall, people don't understand what obedience to God's ways are about. Overall, people get off track. Overall, people don't understand what's important to God. And overall, people don't really know themselves very well. Jesus speaks, actually, in this passage in Mark 7, he addresses all of these three areas in our text this morning. But before I give you the the application, I want to talk a little bit about the context. And the context in a passage is so, so very important. You can't really pick up a Bible and just point to a verse. I mean, you can, people do. But really, if you want to understand what's going on, you have to set it in context. And once you set it in context, once you know the context, then you, you can extrapolate what it means for us today. But you can't really do it very well before that. So the context is, is that Jesus is in a discussion. Well, actually, he's been criticized by the pastors. We'll call them the pastors of the day, the religious leaders of the day. And the criticism is this. The criticism is, in verse 5, why, why don't, Jesus, why don't your students, why, don't your, why are your disciples eating without washing their hands? And when they're talking about washing their hands, they're talking about a ritual that they had a couple thousand years back. They had this ritual. It was really a hand-washing ritual that before they ate, they would wash their hands in a particular way. Now, it's got nothing to do with germs, because remember, this is ancient text. Germs weren't even known back in Jesus' day, right? So it was like this ritual hand-washing ceremony that they did before they would eat food. Now, we have rituals today, by the way. You know, like if you've ever seen anyone cross themselves as they enter a church or kneel, that's a ritual, right? Or if you raise your hands up when you sing, that's a ritual. Or if you lift your hands up when you pray, that's a ritual. Or, um, I mean, there's so many things from all the different Christian traditions. Some people cover their head, women, when they pray. Or um, remember in the old days, it's probably still done actually. Remember that certain traditions didn't eat any meat on Friday? These are all traditions, right? Now, it's not that Jesus is against traditions, not really against rituals or traditions. It's like, take it or leave it as far as Jesus is concerned. If it helps you, go ahead. Uh, but what really provokes him is, 
where really angersome is, is, is people getting really picky about traditions and forgetting the truly important things. That's really what sets Jesus off. If he finds people are all getting all tied up with the religious ritual and then forgetting what's really important. And remember for Jesus, what's really important is learning how to love God, learning how to love people and learning how to love yourself, right? In fact, Jesus said, you don't really need any more. <laughs> you don't need any commandments. You, you, you concentrate on these three. You don't need any more laws. That's enough to keep you going your whole life, Right? Okay, so back to the text. He's in this conversation with the leaders of the day, the religious leaders of the day, and they say, so how come, Jesus, your students don't do the, the traditional washing of hands? And Jesus, knowing that, they are, knowing that they're, they're criticizing him, says, you know what? He actually quotes from the prophet Isaiah. He says, you know what? Isaiah was right about you people. You, you honor God with your lips, but your hearts are so far from God. In other words, you say all the right things. You pretend to be spiritual. You pretend to love God. But in actual reality, your hearts are so far. You're just critical people. You're just critical people. Yeah. Worth, worth considering. Uh, people who are angry and uh, critical do not represent God in any way, shape, or form. Jesus said to them, oh yeah, Isaiah was right about you. Down throughout the centuries, there's, there have been people like this. People honor me with their lips, God says. They all have a good talk, but their hearts are so far from me. It's basically a passage that warns very easy to miss the point in life. Very easy to major in minors. Very easy to criticize and get all hot and bothered about the wrong things. Easy to get caught up in the wrong things. Spending a lifetime pointing out what's wrong with these people, whoever these people are. And the Pharisees and the scribes, they, they wanted everyone to be like them. They wanted Jesus to do things the way they did things. They wanted Jesus to think the way they thought and believe what they believed. And it annoyed them and it threatened them and it bothered them when Jesus took another path. Yeah, so Jesus, <laughs> I think he sometimes deliberately, you know, missed out the ritual to make a point, you know, to make the point. And he addresses this critical spirit in this text. And he says in verse 15, look, you need to understand that nothing outside a person defiles them. You know, eating food that's, the, eating food without doing your ritual hand washing, that's not a big deal. What a big deal is what's going on on the inside. What's a big deal is what's going on in the heart, what's going on inside of you. It is not a big deal to miss out various rituals. But what is a big deal is what motivates you. It's like you Pharisees, you scribes, you know what? All you're doing, you're motivated by criticism and judgment. Yeah, he's looking right at the heart of the matter. 
you're motivated by, you're finding fault. That's what you're doing. You're finding fault. And then he goes on to say, where does evil come from? Let me tell you where evil comes from. You don't have to look far away. You don't have to look outside. Evil comes from within. Evil comes from within people. Jesus would say, people left to their own ways are not necessarily good. Yeah, that struck me this first, this reading time. You know, I thought to myself, it's interesting that Jesus didn't have, you know, this idea of, oh, people are basically good and people have good hearts and, oh, we need to think the best of people and we need to put the best construction on everything. Jesus would say, oh, absolutely not. You got to be as, as wise as a serpent and as gentle as a dove. People left to their own devices are anything but good. Anything but good. And people can easily get off track. And he says, where do you think adultery comes from? Comes from inside you. Where do you think avarice comes from? Greed and envy and pride and wickedness. And he starts to list all these vices. So I'll tell you where it, I'll tell you where it all comes from. Everything that hurts you, everything that hurts people, everything that hurts the world, it comes from inside you. It comes from the heart. Uh, Jesus didn't teach that people are basically good at heart. Um, They can be. They can take a good path. But they get to choose. People can get off track. Which is why, by the way, he didn't trust people, because they can be so off track. Well, and, you know, when you think about it, it was the scribes and the Pharisees that ended up having him arrested and having him killed, right? So he was right. I mean, he discerned it correctly, didn't he? So the passage points out this common problem of, of getting distracted and getting critical of how others live and think and believe, and, and most importantly, not attending to our own inner lives, not attending to our own motives. Why do we do what we do? You know, so these leaders have become critical of Jesus. They have become critical of his students. And Jesus is saying, you're supposed to be spiritual people and you're off track. You're not called to look around at me and my students and tell me what we're doing wrong. You're supposed to be attending to your own inner life. And for Jesus, it's all about what motivates and directs a life. Because what motivates you will push you in that direction. That's why motivation, what motivates us, is so uh, critical in Jesus' teaching. Like, for example, if you're motivated by envy, like if you have trouble with envy and it's a a weakness of yours, and you kind of find yourself looking around and looking at other people's marriages or their children or their homes or their money or their, their creativity or their status in life, you think, boy, I wish I had that. I wish I could... I wish I could uh, do what they do, or I wish I had that house, or I wish I had their their relationship. It doesn't really matter what it is. If you're if you're if that's a weakness in a sense, and if you're motivated by envy, you will be driven to put your energy 
into getting what is missing, right? So Jesus is saying, in a way, fine, but just know, if you are motivated to follow envy, if that's who you're going to follow, you're not going to be following me, because it's one or the other, right? We're not called to follow our temperament. Or maybe you're not motivated by envy, maybe you're motivated by success, and you'll chase after success, however you would define that. Well, fair enough. But just know that if, it's, if you're going to be motivated by success in whatever you do, that's going to be the driving, leading force of your life. When Jesus comes along and says, come and follow me, he's saying, you know that habit you have of being motivated by success? That can take second place. Right? Or maybe you're not motivated by envy or success. Maybe you desire to be liked and loved, and so you want to do things for people and you want to help people, which is, there's nothing wrong with that, right? But all these motivations tend to get, go overboard and hijack us in some way, right? Maybe you're motivated by wanting to do everything right and you drive everyone crazy because of your perfectionism. Or maybe you want to have security, who doesn't, uh, for your life, for your family, for your children, but it goes overboard, so you find you're anxious. Or maybe you have a desire to be in control for the same reason, because you don't want to be anxious. This is all, actually, Enneagram motivations, but there's many more. I'm just giving you the ones that I'm most familiar with here. It doesn't really matter what our tendency is. What's important is, in the spiritual life, to identify what tends to motivate us and give it a back seat. That it doesn't get to be the lead. None of these things uh, head a person in the right direction. They're all inadequate, Jesus would say, in the long haul. They're all inadequate. They're insufficient. They're incomplete. Yeah, try having security guide you. Try having the need for security guide you. Every day of your life, it's exhausting. Why? Because we live in an insecure world. Try being in control of everything. Every day of your life, what happens? It's exhausting. Why? Because you don't have any. That's why. Try having success. Whatever, you know, a desire to be liked by everyone. I mean, whatever it is, it's, it's inadequate, it's incomplete. Jesus would say, these are not worthy of your devotion. These are not worthy. Only God is worthy. Only God is worthy. So Jesus teaches that a life lived well is a life motivated and dedicated to pleasing God, which, in my experience, is a daily corrective. We're not necessarily about pleasing ourselves all the time. We're not necessarily called to please others all the time. 
We're called to please God. And it seems to me that that looks like a constant redirecting in everyday life. I mean, it's a constant correction of sorts because, of course, we're always going to have the pull to control. We're always going to have a desire to pull to to move towards security. And we're always going to have uh, desires for success and to be liked and loved and all these things, right? It's just a matter of what takes the first lead. And it's a constant correction of sorts because our temperament, our personalities are always trying to push ahead with the way that we've learned how to survive. And then the spirit comes along Usually when we're tired and exhausted, this is when we hear well. And the spirit whispers, you can let that go, not that way, this way. It's like, yeah, we have to learn how to follow Christ. Because other things can take on way too much importance. For the Pharisees, for the scribes, it was what had taken over it was criticism, basically. They were they were criticizing. They were criticizing Jesus because they weren't, Jesus wasn't doing things, his disciples, his students weren't doing things the way that they thought that he should. It's all about control, right? It's all about control. Jesus would say, no. No, that's not following God. That's following the need to control. Life, a life lived well, is a life motivated and dedicated to pleasing God. And it seems to me that that's a daily thing, isn't it? Because when we see ourselves getting off track and pulled away by other things, it's like, no, nah, i get, I got to get back to what is true and what is good. God, show me your way here. Show me your way. That the Spirit of God comes to us and points out when we're getting out of balance and reminds us to get back in line, get back in place, and follow. Not necessarily what comes naturally to us, not all our reactions and all the things that we get caught up in and fret over and stress over and get overwhelmed with. No, Jesus would say, that's, I've come, I've come to set you free from all of that. Oh, there's a great line in John. If the sun sets you free, you shall be free indeed. God's all about freedom. Always has been. The ancient people thousands and thousands of years ago, I'm giving you the commandments to keep you free. Moses, I'm giving you the commandments to keep you free. Jesus comes along. I guess you've forgotten all about freedom. Okay, I've come that you might have freedom, that you don't get tied and weighed down by the cares of this world. Well, there's the prayer, right? There's the heart cry. God, yes, thank you. What a beautiful reminder that you keep us free. You keep us free every day to follow you. Well, thank you for joining me. You have been listening to Celtic Preacher. Join with me again next week for another episode.